Yes, you do. So let's pretend. Let's pretend that I was the architect of space. And I was watching all of this. There would be some avenue where I can insert. You know, quantum computing, it's supreme. Alexis de Tocqueville said, after having thus successfully taken each member of the community in its powerful grasp and fashioned him at will, the supreme power then extends its arm over the whole community. It covers the surface of society with a network of small, complicated rules, minute and uniform, through which the most original minds and the most energetic characters cannot penetrate to rise above the crowd. The will of man is not shattered, but softened, bent, and guided. Men seldom force by it to act, but they are constantly restrained from acting. Such a power does not destroy, but it prevents existence. It does not tyrannize, but it compresses, enervates, extinguishes, and stupefies people till each nation is reduced to nothing better than a flock of timid and industrious animals of which the government is the shepherd. Now, there will be nothing that remains hidden. Now, if you guys remember Shadowgate, and as uh, Millie made it clear, Pay attention to the usual suspects. Pay attention who attacked Millie and I and Gavin and even her brother Chuck. Pay attention to the types of attacks you saw. And pay attention how they are in the center of the truth coming to surface. No matter how how much someone would like to say, They're just great Googlers. They're just great this. They're nothing. Look at us. We're important. I have to say, Florida and Tennessee are quite fascinating. Tennessee is the post-promise software land. And Florida is the birth of trans-organic real entities. Is that even a thing? Well, Tor. Tor. Let's see. What does transorganic really mean? And does that mean quantum? And how does that work? Well, you would have to think about that for a second. But let's just say that um, quantum computing is indeed Pandora's box. It is the end and the beginning, because it cannot be simply defined, because simplicity is never what someone believes exists. In essence, in essence, <laughs> it sounds like almost every single agent out there 
every single agency, every single asset, every single personality, every single persona, and every man, woman, and child are trying to make excuses of why we have advanced exponentially in less than 100 years, but haven't reached the peak of the technology. And you have to wonder, well, are you saying that only one person kind of invented the internet? Like, did you go on holiday and see an intranet and say, in the words of, what was it? Uh, um, My favorite comedian, Ricky Gervais. It's not like God went on holiday and saw Twilight and said, let's have this a little brighter. He just invented it because it always existed, because he is the light. Well, think of it this way. The internet, how did they come up with it? Did they see an internet and say, let's have that a little bit bigger? They can't manifest something out of nothing when they are not the source. And it is very important to understand that liberty is preserved for a tiny minority that will keep humanity free. And by liberty, I mean immune from any earthly attacks. Liberty and immunity, meaning anything you throw at them, meant to destroy them, makes them even bigger and keeps them unscathed. Now, indeed, quantum computing would be the end of any encryption you know of. Any encryption. The big question that you should ask yourself is, when will all these scientists, mathematicians, because none of them are doing all this with the intent to perpetuate a lie, they are actually trying to solve a problem. So when will your scientists, computer scientists, engineers, linguists, priests, preachers, and churches stop lying to you? And when will we stop lying to ourselves? We like to lie to ourselves because we do not like to see the truth, even though it's right there. Every aspect of your life has chains that are ruled by steel. But there's also rope, rope that can hang you or free you. Transorganic Technology LLC um, is down in Lakeland, Florida. Transorganic, what does that even mean? Well, that's a topic for another show this week. But for now, let's focus on the quantum software. So it all goes back to usual suspects. Promise. Drop the E. Inslaw created some case management software where all lawyers and FBI and law enforcement used and installed. They even had a 10, well, it was more than 10 million contract with the Department of Justice in order to deploy promise in all state's attorney's offices across our nation. But there was a serious concern. Concerns that the Justice Department in the 90s 
had conspired to destroy Inslaw and hijack all the rights to the software. And that the software itself was misappropriated. Well, promise. Still around, still happening. As in, you heard that guy, that was right there. Promise. Promise. Without the E. You should think of what that would mean. But let's put it this way. It's case management software. Any case. That could be a legal case. This is what they applied it for, but it could be a case of money, a case of people, a case of DNA, a case of software, a case of money, uh, the numbers, uh, uh, medical records, a case, a case, a case, a case, a case, right? Well, if you guys look back on ToriSays.com, I wrote an article about Robert Maxwell and you know the media mongol that we all know of. Well, He's now been deemed an Israeli spy. Hmm? Had everything to do with Epstein. Had everything to do with Wexner. Had everything to do with Nixon. Had everything to do with Epstein's Island. Had everything to do with everything, but he was also the one that was involved in selling Promise software. Wait, hold on. What? You mean, huh? Hmm. Trickery, deceit, and fraud. When people do realize that your cyberspace is your prison, your life indeed is your prison, and it's run in all facets, suddenly it makes sense. Let's step back for a moment. Let's talk about elections again. If quantum computing exists, let's say in a transorganic real entity, that would mean the death of encryption altogether. But then you would say, why would the agency have teams building ciphers and antiviruses and this and that? I explained to you. You take the template of the architect and you try to rebuild it, but you fail. Why? Because you have the eyes of the architect. But when you have the eyes of a child that is unfamiliar with the architect, but is the architect, maybe they can give you a better replication. And also, people have to think that it doesn't exist. Therefore, we will act like it doesn't exist. That's pretty much it. So, Transorganic. This company was registered, I think, in 2021. And what's funny is, those transactions the gentleman was talking about was just around the time when, I don't know, some big fraud was discovered in many states, considering a state bank too. State Bank of North Dakota. Only state bank in the nation and in the state where China has an actual physical presence is run by a governor that owns a majority of real estate of that state that created the contact tracing apps 
that created the QR codes. Remember how proud he was that you can just scan a QR code like an airport pass? And all he does is take a sample of your DNA to make sure you're not sick. And so, something happened during that time, 2016, up until 2017. It was almost like an avenue, an avenue where cyberspace couldn't detect space, penetrate. It's kind of like the ozone layer, right? There was a hole and it was there, but they didn't understand how it happened. So they just blamed something. Well, while installing certain software in the banking systems in order to topple them in 2016, there was a hole in the space. See, the God that everyone serves is money. Huh. That self-preservation, fame, greed, money will have you say anything. Anything. So this man actually identified it. He lost his whole life over what? Transactions that were legitimate. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing, and it's not my story to tell, but it will be told soon. When that space was created for space to enter into the cyberspace, it was only a matter of time. Now, to understand that further, I guess, I guess, one would have to say, well, then what you're telling me is that everything is fake. You mean the FBI that has intelligence analysts working to collect intelligence really don't have to be collecting intelligence because they have access to the space outside of the cyberspace and therefore, like a catalog, can pick whatever they want with a touch of a finger, per se, finger and select it and see it. So they're redundant. We really don't need them. Correct. So what you're telling me is that there's all these universities that have been created, all these great minds chugging along every single day, trying to create quantum computing, but they don't have to because it already exists. So then why is the government funding that if it already exists and they can access that and they know that? And then the question is, who is the government? Now in the United States, we all know we, the people are the government, but obviously that's not the case. Considering that that government rules every aspect of our life. So there's got to be someone that's governing the governments, governments that can access that space but pretends it doesn't exist because, you know, people like me don't exist. So how do you bring that into the forefront? I guess one notion would be was to explain that nothing is that complicated. It's actually quite simple. People can fathom that experiments like the Milgram experiment, Poughkeepsie, and we can keep going on and on and on, have occurred. But then when you think of quantum experimentation, right, you're speaking to someone that actually believes that with the powering, the processing power of a TI-84, we went to the moon. So how do you explain to them that there may be other things that you are not aware of? For example... I, let's say, created 
or baked, the most amazing thumb cookie with chocolate in the middle, peanut butter inside is the best. And I die. And you have no access to the exact recipe. But I left a barrage of my children that have the same palate as me, the same senses as me, and they are pure in form and untainted by traditional uh, means of genetic exposure to know everything where they have to learn and work hard to unlock knowledge, but they have every single piece of me. Well, if you just suggest cookies, you hope that at some point they give you the exact recipe, but it's always going to be an off chance, right? Because you'll only get close enough to say one eighth of a teaspoon in regards to cinnamon. I hope if you rehear that, that makes sense. (laughs) I hope you understand that. Because classical encryption has been dead. It is a facade. Quantum computing exists. RSA is dead. And that is the backbone of everything. Now, I know, I know, I know. People would like to say, we're in the matrix. We're like plugged up. We're like this. Well, I'm telling you, you're actually living in a manufactured construction of what some pseudo architect has created. And this is the structure, every facet of it. Like, let's take a step back. Symmetric algorithms are used for live traffic. They exchange information with a simple one-one exchange, kind of like, yo, what's up, fist bump? Yeah, that's what's up. It's used with secrecy that's going in one direction. And that is, is done instead of relying and, you know, being confident in the security of the original person, like if they wash their hands during this month, right? And it encrypts messages before they're sent. So it encrypts it and then it sends it, right? And there's a key exchange, you know, um, Hellman, I think, was the one that did it, um, that is comparable to um, one-time pad type of ex- encryption. Quantum computers today, right? are not really quantum. They're trying to mimic it um, with um, D-Wave. It's like a, a type of system that was created. A lot of people think that quantum computer is not in our grasp because it is very hard to replicate because it already exists. It's like trying to create water on water. It's already there. What are you trying to do? You're going to fail. Well, I'm going to create water within the water. How do you create water within the water? It's very difficult to do. Yes? So let's go to, um, I think this is the best. Is this the one? I'm hoping that this is the one. I'm trying to show you the, I want to show you Alice. Where is Alice? But before I do that, Let me show you a YouTube short that is fantastic. Hold on. And for those of you that like digging, you should dig into that company. That'll be very interesting. Is this it? Yes, it is. Um, um, 
How do I do this? Okay. I can't. Damn it. Listen to this. Instance and air, a quantum simulator. We're going to set up the key as the number that we want to factor. Then you set a random base value that is not a factor of the key. Get the back end using... Yeah, I can't get it to play, so I can't put it on there. Hold on. I'll find it. Is this the one? Yes, it is. Perfect. Found it. The goal of encryption is to garble data in such a way that no one who has the data can read it unless they're the intended recipient. And the encryption of pretty much all private information sent over the internet relies immensely on one numerical phenomenon. As far as we can tell, it's really, really hard to take a really big number and find its factors using a normal, non-quantum computer. Unlike multiplication, which is very fast, just multiply the digits together and add them up, finding the prime numbers that multiply together to give you an arbitrary, big, non-prime number appears to be slow. At least, the best approach we currently have that runs on a normal computer, even a very powerful one, is very slow. Like, to find the factors of this number, it took 2,000 years of computer processor time. Now, it's not yet proven that we won't eventually find a fast way to break encryption just with normal computers, but it's certain that anybody with a large working quantum computer today would pose an immediate privacy and security threat to the whole internet. And that's due to something called Shor's algorithm. Well, actually, it's due to quantum superposition and interference. They're just taken advantage of by an algorithm developed by Peter Shore, which I'm now going to attempt to explain. The kind of encryption we're talking about garbles or locks messages using a large number in such a way that decrypting or unlocking the data requires knowing the factors of that number. If somebody doesn't have the factors, either they can't decrypt the data, or they have to spend a really, really long time or a huge amount of investment in computing resources finding the factors. Our current best methods essentially just guess a number that might be a factor and check if it is. And if it isn't, you try again. And again. And again. It's slow. There are just so many numbers to check that even the fast, clever ways to make really good guesses are slow. For example, my computer took almost nine minutes to find the prime factors of this number. So if you used this number to encrypt your data, it would only be safe from me for nine minutes. If, on the other hand, you used a number like the one that took 2,000 years of computer processor time to factor, your data would definitely be safe from me and my laptop, but not from somebody with access to a server farm. This is similar to how putting a lock on your door and bars on your windows doesn't guarantee that you won't have stuff stolen from your house, but does make it take more time and more work. Encrypting data isn't a guarantee of protection. It's a way of making it harder to access, hopefully enough harder that no one thinks it's worth trying. But quantum computation has the potential to make it super, super easy to access encrypted data. Like having a lightsaber you can use to cut through any lock or barrier, no matter how strong. Shor's algorithm is that lightsaber. Roughly speaking, to factor a given number, Shor's algorithm starts with a crappy guess that might share a factor with your target number, but which probably doesn't. And then the algorithm transforms it into a much better guess that probably does share a factor. There's nothing intrinsically quantum mechanical about this. You can, in fact, run a version of Shor's algorithm on a regular computer to factor big numbers. But perhaps unsurprisingly, the turning your bad guess into a better guess part of the process takes a very, very long time on a normal computer. On the other hand, this key step happens to be ridiculously fast on quantum computers. So our task is to explain how Shor's algorithm turns a crappy guess into a better guess, which is purely mathematics, and why quantum computers make that fast, which is where the physics comes in. It all starts with a big number, n, that you'll need to find the factors of to break into some encrypted data. If you don't know what the factors are, which you don't, you can make a guess, 
just pick some number g that's less than n. We actually don't need the guess to be a pure factor of n. It could also be a number that shares some factors with n, like how 4 isn't a factor of 6, but shares a factor with it. Numbers that share factors are okay because there's a 2,000-year-old method to check for and find common factors. It's called Euclid's algorithm, and it's pretty darn efficient. All this is to say that to find a factor of n, we don't have to guess a factor of n. Guessing numbers that share factors with n is okay, too thanks to Euclid. And if Euclid's algorithm found any shared factors with n, then we'd be done. You could just divide n by that factor to get the other factor and break the encryption. But for the big numbers used in encryption, it's astronomically unlikely that any single guess will actually share a factor with n. Instead, we'll use a trick to help transform your crappy guess into a pair of guesses that are way more likely to share factors with n. The trick is based on a simple mathematical fact. For any pair of whole numbers that don't share a factor, if you multiply one of them by itself enough times, you'll eventually arrive at some whole number multiple of the other number, plus 1. That is, if a and b are integers that don't share factors, then eventually a to the p will be equal to m times b plus 1, for some power p and some multiple m. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to get into why this is true, but hopefully a few illustrations can at least give you a feeling for it. For example, 7 and 15. While 7 squared isn't 1 more than a multiple of 15, and neither is 7 cubed, 7 to the 4th is. Or take 42 and 13. 42 squared isn't 1 more than a multiple of 13, but 42 cubed is. This same kind of thing works for any pair of numbers that don't share factors. So, for the big number n, and your crappy guess, g, we're guaranteed that some power of g is equal to some multiple of n plus 1. And here's the clever part. If we rearrange this equation by subtracting the 1 from both sides, we can rewrite g to the p minus 1 as g to the p over 2 plus 1 times g to the p over 2 minus 1. You can multiply that back together to convince yourself that it works. And now we have an equation that almost looks like something times something is equal to n, which is exactly what we're trying to find, factors of n. These two terms are precisely the new and improved guesses that Shor's algorithm prescribes. Take the initial crappy guess, multiply it by itself, p over 2 times, and either add or subtract 1. Of course, since we're dealing with a multiple of n rather than n itself, the terms on the left-hand side might be multiples of factors of n, rather than the factors themselves. Like how 7 to the 4 over 2 plus 1 is 50, and 7 to the 4 over 2 minus 1 is 48, neither of which is a factor of 15. But we can find shared factors by using Euclid's algorithm again. And once we do, we'll have broken the encryption. So, is this all Shor's algorithm is? Why can't we use this to break encryption right now? Where's the quantum mechanics? Well, indeed, there are three problems with these new and improved guesses. First, one of the new guesses might itself be a multiple of n, in which case the other would be a factor of m, and neither would be useful to us in any way. And second, the power p might be an odd number, in which case p over 2 isn't a whole number, and so our guess taken to the power of p over 2 probably isn't a whole number either, which is no good. We're working with integers here. However, for a random starting guess, it turns out that at least three-eighths of the time, neither of these problems happens, and g to the p over 2 plus or minus 1 does generate guesses that share factors with n and break the encryption. This is worth repeating. For any initial guess that we make, at least 37.5% of the time, our guess to the power of p over 2 plus or minus 1 will lead to a factor of n, decrypting the garbled message, which means we're 99% likely to break the encryption with fewer than 10 guesses. However, problem number 3 is the big one. Remember, to turn a crappy guess into a good guess, we need to know how many times you have to multiply our guess by itself 
before we get a multiple of n plus 1. And for a normal computer, the act of finding that power p takes a ton of work and time. It's not hard for small numbers like 42 and 13, but if our big number is a thousand digits long and our crappy guess is 500 digits long, then trying to figure out how many times you have to multiply our guess by itself before you get some multiple of the big number plus one takes a ridiculous amount of trial and error on a normal computer. More effort than it would have taken to just factor n by brute force in the first place. So, finally, this is where quantum mechanics comes in and speeds things up an insane amount. Unlike a normal computation, which gives only one answer for a given input, a quantum computation can simultaneously calculate a bunch of possible answers for a single input by using a quantum superposition. But you only get one of the answers out at the end, randomly, with different probabilities for each one. The key behind fast and reliable quantum computations is to set up a quantum superposition that calculates all possible answers at once, while being cleverly arranged so that all of the wrong answers destructively interfere with each other. That way, when you actually measure the output of the calculation, the result of your measurement is most, most likely, likely the, the right, right answer. answer. In, In general, general, it can be really hard to figure out how to put- And this is the sauce of this video. I won't put more on this. But what he said is, you have to be a, in a position where all options exist. Past, present, future. One person, one integer, one algorithm, one. They can see all. And therefore, like he said, and like she said, the destruction of what is not true. Because like I've said, truth is simply that. It is. Because you don't believe in truth doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist. And at some point, that all comes out. Now, referring back to that intermission video of that gentleman explaining to you how he saw the penetration, the back-end system, one thing you did see was a constant. It was a spheric number, palindromic Sphenic, and I said sphenic, spheric, sphenic number. It is a palindrome. It's 777 years, 777, let's say. And what is a sphenic number? It basically means that it is a product of three, a trinity of prime numbers. And you know, once you get into that concept, you'll understand what square free integers are and what numbers that are almost prime but aren't prime are. And it starts to make sense. The manipulation that it's always been there. Have you ever seen in the movie where someone is like looking at something and it looks like they're wearing rose colored glasses and then suddenly things dissipate and the true picture comes out? This is why I say Sometimes it's best to take knowledge as provided, as is, on its face and take a step back. And suddenly, only the right things come into focus. So there is a paper that I would urge a lot of people to read. You know, I don't like Einstein because he's a thief. And Einstein was the base of a lot of things that, I mean, not very good. Now, a lot of people will be like, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it's not like in Einstein's time, they were talking about transorganic things. I mean, we barely had computers, right? We barely did. 
And it's not like Einstein would have been behind any ideas of manipulation of the mind to equate into what is real, real, real stuff. It's not like there was a brain project like the one that Obama deployed, you know, that literally probes your brain because they still haven't gotten to the point where they can replicate it. So many experiments, but it's not like that would ever happen, right? It's not like Einstein would have deployed something like this, right? That's completely impossible, right? Wrong. There is one research paper that I am unable to show on here, so I have to get this done again. Damn it. Why does it always do that? It's as if the system doesn't want me to show you things. And now I have to do it another way. Let's do that. Just darn it. Let's open that file. Uh, it was there and it disappeared. But don't worry, there's a workaround in the programming. Always. I mean, right? But I don't know anything. I'm just a good Googler. I mean, you know, there's some truth to that basis. I mean, if Google was... What? Stop it. Okay. There's Siri again. Paying attention. Here we go. Let's take a look at this blank screen that will suddenly show you that everything you've been told is actually false. Well, I haven't delved into Einstein, but when have you ever heard that he was involved in something called the brain project? That's impossible. Is it though? Is it really impossible? Well, let's see what this blank screen has to say. Let's uh, take a look at this blank screen. So this is a paper that was written by Alan Dunning and Paul Woodrow. More real is real. The transorganic and hypermorphic in the Einstein's brain project. Now, there's a lot that can be said on this. A lot. Talks about everything. It talks about, I guess, one would say it's an attempt at creationism. But one startling paragraph will have you understand a few things. A modern reader might take the story about the artist's power of illusion, a Roman thought. It showed art's relationship to reality. Now, if there's a single general expectation of the recent advancements in the technologies of virtual reality, remember this paper was written in 1997 and referring to Einstein, and hyper-interactive simulation, it is that of its capacity to present an ever-increasing realism the quest for a seamlessly reproduced world is paramount in the military and institutional development of the simulation technologies. You mean they're simulating the architect. Follow me. The ideal, achievable or otherwise, of immersive virtual reality consists of surrounding an individual with images and sounds so apparently like those of the real world that the eye and consequently the brain is fooled into thinking it is in that world. 
these developing strategies um, and away from the construction of sustenance of our normal relationship to the world are those of realism, writ of expression, symbol, or metaphor. And they are sustained by the authorities of homogeneity and seamlessness. Just as long as rendering times and their outcome of low frame rates are constantly and expensively fought against because they disturb the seamlessness and effectiveness of the illusion. So ruptures in the content and the consumption of the worlds are discouraged. Stopping to consider the strangeness of a sound distorted by being played too slowly or the flickering or jerkiness of an in image disrupts our sense of ourselves as being in normal relations with the world. Similarly, the consideration of subtext or a hidden meaning draws attention to our consideration and away from the construction and sustenance of our normal relationship to the world. That was damn. Now see, this is a paper that you have to read again and again and again. On its face, please attempt to digest that at, oops, Einstein was involved in a brain project and this is before they made the decision not to deploy the relay because they were talked out of it, which was fantastic. Because they were greedy. See, they could have owned you. See, it would have been very difficult. And boy, it would have rained, rained, and rained. But it didn't happen that way. Because when you know the person's... Uh, weakness or drive, like, I want to be famous. I want to be important. You know, the type of people that will, you know, go to the grocery store and put on their Versace or the person that turns up to work all the time, dressed to the T in a suit. Those people try to look the part, but they're never the part. They're always striving. Vanity, greed, well, vanity and greed gave them, well, rather than just deploy them on this and keep them like this, why not use them and have them replicate it so we can keep this perpetual sustenance going? And there the brain project was created and there integral whatever communication space that they had no way to manipulate but simply was and that they could use, uh, the internet was born. And everyone went to work. And every aspect of this paper examining what they have been talking about is there. Now, again, an archivist, please split this show in two sections, please, because tomorrow I will not have a show as I am working tirelessly on my case um, and hoping to um, attain uh, the services of this attorney that will be filing it. So, anyway. Going back to the topic, it's very important to understand that everything you see out there is a script. And I'll bring this down to a lower example. 
that is personal. So it's easy for me to articulate it. When the elections happened, people descended into Washington, D.C. Contractors, important people, people part of this whole usual suspects. Some of them, magnificent creatures. So magnificent that creatures, other creatures, are sucking the life out of them because they're so magnificent. I remember when we arrived, it was weird and it was scary. And I, and I think the people that were around me will tell you that I was uh, completely different when I was in that area. It was hard because a lot of people recognize me considering my appearance has changed drastically in the past five years. But I remember that when we were down there, one person turned around to Millie and said, what script are you on? She was like, huh? Dismissed the whole notion. And I can tell you that we were literally confined to a meeting room basement for the majority of the time. Especially when people were bidding. It was all about money. I can help you solve it. I need a million. I can help you solve it. I need three million. I can help you solve it. So all of this was going around. Every single portion of it. And yet, for some reason, the people with the actual evidence of a plot, which, by the way, if you pay attention to Shadowgate 1, you'll see it was there. What's the way it goes? The higher they go, the more on a pedestal you put them, the harder they will fall. And when they fall hard, it shakes the earth, and that startles people. So as you learn today through the quantum discussions, when the coin spins, it can be heads, tails, heads, tails, tails, head, right? It all exists at the same time. It is this uncertainty of disruption, right? What is it called? Destruction. And so when certain events occurred then, It seemed that they didn't know how to respond. It's almost like um, an Easter egg in a game. (laughs) Who unlocked this Easter egg? How did this happen? We need to sequester it. Disruption. So all of you know, and I've posted this before, that I, in my Tesla, when I charge it or I'm updating, I play backgammon, right? I love backgammon. And I play against the super AI, which means that that artificial intelligence product can not only roll the dice to cheat, but it will know every percentage of my move. Now, I noticed as I was gearing up to where I was beating the machine by 
I don't know, seven points. And it was like, well, my score was 77 and its score was 67. That it started to cheat, meaning the possibility of rolling those doubles it needed or that exact die were very slim, but it did. And I'll tell you why. So I've been playing a while and I noticed that in every move and every die that you roll, there's a possibility of that number coming out. So for those of you that understand backgammon, and I'll explain it to you and you'll see where I'm going with this. If your first roll for your die is 6-1, you would most likely create a blockage in the six count so that the person can't take their pawns out uh, with the number six die, right? You put the six and then you take the one from the five position, right? For those of you that know, I know some of you will be like, what? But let me just tell you guys, that's the most strategic move. And that is the best first die you can ever throw because that already blocks them from leaving with high numbers and therefore you trap their pawns. So I noticed that if I rolled a six one, and did the exact perfect, because that is the perfect roll of dice, that in double sixes, right? If that happens and I move in the only way that almost guarantees you from that first roll to win, I lose. But instead, what I did was I took the five position on the lower board where my target is and put it in there naked and open, and then moved my pawn that was trapped, one, opening up three pawns eligible for hit. The worst move you can make. And yet, boom, I won that game. In fact, I won it so hard that it gave me three points because the AI couldn't even get out of where it was trapped in time. So that means that the computing that has been created always uses logic, the devil's advocate of how it will proceed. Now, it got smarter as the games kept going. When we got up to the 50 mark of playing the game, because I love games, uh, it caught on that I was doing bad moves on odd rolls, meaning my first roll, shitty move, second roll, highly probable, best move I can make, third roll, shitty one, I had a pattern. Unfortunately, all math has patterns. And at that point, I shifted it. The minute I saw that I was losing when I should have been winning and it would have been impossible, I thought to myself, all right, now I'm going to really randomize it. And I randomized it so much that I pissed it off that it started to roll doubles constantly. What are the odds that your AI will throw quads, two fives, two sixes, two ones, and four times consecutively double threes? You see, it needed to find my responses when I was blocked. So guess what I did? I terminated the game and I started all over again. It is because logic is what corrupted Hmm. the architect's closest confidants, the fallen ones. 144 came down, 72 fucked up, 72 decided to be like, okay, we're going to stay here and fix this. So again, logic 
is you not making sense of something. Therefore, you, logic is used to make sense of something that doesn't make sense to you. So you use the most rationale approach. I'm going to stop that there because there's no point in continuing that until you digest that because then you'll see what I said before. When Millie and I and Gavin descended into D.C., they didn't know what to do. So they got upset. Who? Well, there was a double down, a double down. Kind of like they were rolling dice, sixes, fives, threes, twos, twos, twos. And you're like, how is this even happening? They're doing this and they know they're going to fail and they know they're cheating and they know they're dead. And it's almost like both sides were just rolling exactly what they needed to come to a deadlock, which is right where we are, which means confusion. And why? because they couldn't understand that. That was a random effect in a pattern that shouldn't have happened. Almost like the Svenic number 777. Some people call it lucky. Some people say it has symbolic meaning. Well, you see it on every single, I urge you, go on the internet and look at all the people that have had some computational hiccup in their financials, in their records. Have you ever gotten a government record that's wrong? Look at the code. Seven, seven, seven. It's very specific. It's almost as if it's repetitive, which means that there is an algorithm to that base. So again, how do you prove that someone is cheating, that they're telling you that this is the platform and this is the security and we own the security. Exactly that. If you take Shore's algorithm and apply the 3x plus one, but using 777, you've got quantum computing and you could do that shit on your fingers. But no one, no one pays attention because everyone wants to be individual rather than working together to see that the solution was always there in the first place. Mm. Few will understand. Many won't. And this is why we have the usual suspects always in a cycle, always telling us how to think, walk, talk, and speak, and telling us what is true and what is not. I mean, your preacher will tell you that. Your mom will tell you that. Your friend, your cousin, your FBI, your government, your presidents, your elected officials, your senators, your congressmen, your mayor, they will tell you how to think, you know the usual suspects, because that's the problem. If you actually watch the movie and think of this one concept, everything that was said by Mr. Verbal was true in the construct that they themselves have created. Therefore, how do you know what is true and what is not? Think of that while you watch this three-minute clip that might help you understand that concept in quantum computing. Then you're assault me. And tell me every you know, last thing. Back when I was in that barbershop quartet, Skokie, Illinois. Where's your head, Agent Kuyun? What we need to do is think. Think back. I'm sure you've heard many tall tales. Bricks Marlin. This isn't right. I just want to tell hear me every last detail. It's all there. And I'm telling it straight, I swear. Some guy in California, his name is Redfoot. A gift from Mr. Sose. Talk to me, verbal. What about Redfoot? Mr. Redfoot. You're nothing. Using pawns. Big, fat guy. I mean, like, orca fat. I was a lawyer. Kind of Mixed legends of Kobayashi. So I'll never see him again. So back when I was picking beans in Guatemala, we used to make fresh coffee. I know you thought he was a good man. I know he was good. 
and tell me every last detail. Strangest thing. How do you shoot the devil in the back? This altar is protected from up on high by the prince. And tell me every last detail. What about a pretzel, man? What's your story? There was a lawyer. What lawyer, Verbal? I am Mr. Kobayashi. 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 Tell me every last detail. I work for Kaiser Soze. Convince me. Convince me. Convince me. Every creeping scumbag that works the street for a living will know the name of Verbal Kent. The cripple, did you see him? The cripple, which way did he go? Oh, he, he went out that way. I know you know something. I know you're not smarter telling you say something. something. I'm smarter than you, and I'm going to find out what I want to know, whether you like it or not. To a cop, the explanation is never that You know what I'm getting at, Verbal, the truth. Come on, Verbal, no who do you think you're the street? No, I know you know something. At all. Somebody with power. There was Somebody who was capable not of tracking us from New York. He's Kaiser Sunset. You think I a guy this close to getting caught and sticks his head out? You get no guys from me. Because you're stupid, Verbal. Because you're Kaiser a cripple. Sose. But I want to know is who's the gimp. You know, you know the whole fucking time. Who's Kaiser Sose? If he comes up for who's anything, he's going to get rid of me. But I'm sure Keaton is dead. I can't feel my legs, Kaiser. First thing I learned on the job, you know what it was? How to spot a murderer. You tell me you got the cripple in there from New York. Yeah. He mentioned Kaiser Sose. Who? After that, my guess is you'll never hear from him again. So let's think of this. Kaiser Sose, I can't feel my legs, says the man as he's dying, looking up to this man. And then this man goes to the police, tells them a story that they would believe because it is their reality construct. That confined room where the explanation came out and that was it. It was perfect explained to the T that made sense in the reality. But then the cops stood back and realized that indeed the architect was sitting right there telling him what his reality is telling him, that it must be someone of power that will walk and people will tremble, that it must be some big mafioso, that it must be this. But in fact, it was a guy who seemed crippled to tell him the story, to show his eyes, to tell him, look, this is your world, this room. And I've just given you what satisfied you from within this room. And therefore, I cannot help you see until I'm gone. It's almost like, you know, kismet. It's almost as if the way Jesus was. He said, you won't know who I am. But then people who didn't know who he was realized who he was a year later, two years later, 20 years later, 100 years later. Here we are over 2,000 years later. And people are starting to know who he is. And so was Kaiser Sose the one that killed him? The phrase, it was all there in that last clip. The guy was shot. He was a good man. I know he was a good man. Now, would someone that murdered someone say that in that sense? You know, everyone loved to hate Kaiser Sose during the movie. And then others were like, damn, that was so badass. He did all that. But did he? Because you never saw him there. He was just telling you about the ropes, the steel, and the chain. And so the detective who was so in it, he had all the facts lined up on the wall, everything that could be anything. 
had the guy hiding behind the ropes, the chains, and the steel show him that, hey, you built this world and you are comfortable with what you were told because it fits your world until he realized that the world (laughs) was just that, not what he was seeing. And so I guess Kaiser Sose, the king of words, the Caesar of words, the words of Caesar, whatever you want to call it, walked away because all he needed to do was have him step back. And that's exactly what he did. Didn't he step back to drink that coffee and then realize that even down to the bottom side of his mug, it was part of that construct. That is what the movie is. That is why everyone is happy with usual suspects. This is why the media can prize to you and tell you, believe me, I know, because I am, look at me, I'm on TV, I'm special, I'm pretty. Believe me, because I am, you know, I don't know, a PFC or a general or an admiral. Believe me, because I am, I don't know, an accomplished figure skater. Believe me because that, yet it was a cripple right in front of them, humble, telling them whatever they wanted to hear since they weren't going to really listen to what was really behind those chains, ropes, and steel. Because kind of like trying to see what's behind outer space in your mind, you just can't fathom that. So all you do is provide that ability for someone to see it. So now, Going back to elections, which is your final stand. Your second amendment protects your first. Your second is now gone. No, it's not, Tori. Watch. And so now comes your first. What do you do? What do you do? Well, you go back to the basics. It's the first one for a reason. So taking into account quantum computing, understanding that RSA encryption does not work. In fact, there are papers from 2019 saying that at that time, in 2015, it only took them about eight hours to chuck and break RSA 2048 encryption. That's a lot. That's crazy. And this is with remedial equipment. But what if, what if, considering that they've been conducting experiments called like the brain project of Einstein from before the internet ever existed and talking about virtual reality before the internet existed, because that makes sense. What if in one of those experiments, they accidentally made this gaping hole? And as they were discussing before the internet existed, before any of that existed, before we sent people to the moon, they were talking about transorganic realities and Oh, get this, um, virtual realities, right? Because that is it. The fix was always in. I want you to remember something while most of you moan and bitch about President Trump and what he did and where he's at right now. I want to tell you, he said one phrase during his inauguration. One phrase that tells you everything you need to know. Well, actually, there's two. One phrase was, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to give the power back to you, the people. What? You're going to give us back the power? Why? Who has the power now? I thought you have the power and you represent the power that you gave us. Is that so? Is that so? 
he is giving you back power that you don't have. I see. I see. And the next one was, they're not after me. They're after you. Now I'm going to ask all of you to go to Tommy Laren's Twitter at T-O-M-I-L-A-H-R-E-N. She's such a staunch conservative. All of them are, aren't they? They're all magnificent. Ladies and gents, our next president. Who's the picture of? DeSantis. So now we have everyone that was supposedly on the freedom train, on the actual liberty train, jumping on opposite trains. We should have someone with structure, maybe someone with military background, or maybe someone like DeSantis that does amazing things. See how easily you're swayed? They tell you one great thing, and you're just like, I love this. He's the best. Is it though? (laughs) Is it though? Well, we should get someone more structured. Maybe just like Roger Stone said. And Roger Stone, yep, you know, Roger Stone, who's been pushing DeSantis and General Flynn only. Ask yourself, Roger Stone, who was a friend of President Trump. Let's go back to Shadowgate. What was it that triggered every single one of them? Huh? It was that graphic with Manafort and Stone. And what was it that they had put into the White House. Oh, all the McCainers or their kids. I see. And then what was it in November that descended to D.C. and fuck shit up? And how? We didn't do anything. We were being toyed around. So all we did was observe and document and observe and make statements of, and share with the world. That's you, the people. Where's Ann Vandersteel? Any, anybody know? Because I remember Ann Vandersteel showing video of people that had stolen Pelosi's laptop. Who had organized that? I'm just, I'm just asking for a friend. Where is she? Where are all these amazing people? Why is Tracy Beans attacking me through Brian Cates and not with her own face? I see. Remember, Shadowgate was a big deal. And you know what? So yesterday, I went to meet with Millie and Gavin. You know, Shadowgate 3. Shadowgate 3. And so we were looking through things, and we realized, (laughs) how funny. I don't think the world knows. We put out this report, you know. The day before the grand jury indictment. So let me show you that report and then we'll get back to elections, okay? Then you can see it. Let me share you that report, that portion, because I was like, Gavin, you know, this should be it. So for all of you that um, don't follow Millie, I will share my screen so you can see what I'm doing. So here's her YouTube. Oh, she's been de verified. We'll go to the playlists and we go to the playlist called Clues. I don't want conservative. Hold on. 
And these are all, this clues list is the one that Millie and I put together over the years. So I'm going to take you to this video, Espionage Unmasked. I want you to look at the date. It premiered, obviously recorded beforehand, but it premiered. And it was around that time that we met Patrick Berge. But let's go to, which part is it? It's before that. Here we go. Take a listen. Read the future. Statistics of who, what, when, where, and why. We were told terrorists, enemies, communists. In practice, it wasn't. It was, it was all our friends and trading partners. It was actually intended to be deployed on everyone including U.S. citizens, giving these database time travelers the ability to create predictive program algorithms. The programs can spider through the sea of electronic data, enabling reality hackers the ability to read the future. Through probability statistics of who, what, when, where, and why, they can calculate if a target is going to get in the way of their global agenda or who might actually be recruitable to help further their private security agenda. Oh, you thought the government controlled the spies? Ha! Reality hackers get recruited through the public agencies to then get assigned to work for private agencies as contractors with access to databases that technically are only supposed to be accessed by the government. The other part is they they brought in... uh contractors from the outside, uh, engineers and uh, computer scientists and things like that, to solve what is fundamentally an analytic problem. Hence, data bridges. But we'll get to that in another video. How else do you think they get around FOIA requests, compartmentalization, or violating their oaths to the Constitution? They've outsourced everything to get around due process. But that is a subject for a later report. This isn't to say that this new form of spying made field operators, agents, and contractors obsolete. You still need boots on the ground. For instance, Clearforce, ShadowNet, and Interactive Internet Activities, or IIA, are great tools but require some human intelligence to successfully hack elections, run psyops, and collect blackmail. Here in the Virginia area, suburban Virginia area, just outside of Washington, the company was called the Analysis Corporation. This parent entity was a security company, and they were doing security services for the U.S. military in Baghdad and throughout Iraq. But at the same time, they had an office in Beijing, and they're approaching the Chinese government-owned companies. Since 9-11, there has been tremendous progress here in the United States as well as internationally as far as putting together that architecture that is required to be able to share and access information. John Brennan left government and went to work for a small intelligence contractor. Different information technology systems. We have different authorities. We have different responsibilities as far as handling different types of information to include on U.S. persons, U.S. citizens. An interesting mix of global intelligence. One former employee of the company called that a huge conflict of interest. In addition, it's not just what we've been able to do here within the United States. Why do we have global private security firms that are operating in Beijing and Washington and Baghdad at the same time? We're trying to, and we have, in fact, made a lot of progress internationally. 
Remember John Brennan's Global Strategies Group? Global Strategies Group, for example, is uh, registered in Luxembourg, not in England. Uh, there are subsidiaries of subsidiaries. Some of these companies are spun out, go public, go private again. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of them. This is where the Analysis Corporation, Global Strategies Group, Jones Group International, Dianology, the Atlantic Council, Wikistrat, CrowdStrike, and many, many other shell corporations of the same cabal of contractors are in the process of subverting governments worldwide, including the United States. All in an attempt to create a world government controlled by a handful of secret private companies exploiting their government contracts through blackmail, extortion, and any means necessary to acquire raw power. Some of you might be wondering, how do we know Millie's sources are not reality hackers and part of the PSYOP? That's the point. I'm not telling you who to trust or what to believe. I'm going to lay out the blueprints, which will help you discern perceived reality from actual reality and how to identify reality hackers and compromised individuals. I'm also not going to point fingers at who the hacks are for strategic reasons, but know they are in every industry, political party, and all political movements, no matter how great or small. What I will do is give you the tools and information that will show you how to spot a hack. Telecom companies and tech companies like AT&T are are working in a critical way to keep the internet up and running, literally keeping people connected. Let me bring in chairman and CEO of AT&T, Randall Stevenson. AT&T is the owner of... So soon you guys will see. Millie was giving tools in her methods. I was providing tools with my methods. And then when we got to Shadowgate, those were all there. What was that video where people freaked out? So, Tori, don't be go doing that. And what did I say? You wouldn't know if I was. And that is the beauty of usual suspects. How do you know what's real and what's not? Well, let's stick to the science. What do we know about computing? But let's look at this nice farewell video from December 31st. 1969. Maybe that was part of it. So it's farewell to the 60s. Perhaps not the best decade in history, but certainly not the worst either. There may be good reason to look back in anger, but perhaps because of what happened in the 60s, there may also be reason to look forward in hope. Let's hope so anyway. Howard has a comment. Howard? Frank, the years of the 60s, which end in a few hours, have a bad reputation that is not entirely justified. Some things got worse, obviously, like dope addiction and consequent crime, but most essentials got better. Food is more and better, even in Asia, where formerly famine nations are now self-sufficient. It's easier, not harder, to get a job. Race discrimination is less, not greater. The really big thing that changed in the 60s is our own outlook. Pollution and poverty have always been with us. We just became aware of them and insistent that something be done. The consumer has always been hoodwinked by powerful producers. We just decided we won't stand for it. We began to rebel. 
TV and other news coverage is better, not worse. We simply develop more demanding standards. The Vietnam War is hell, but all wars are. We just grew a different threshold of the amount of hell we will take without shouting. President Eisenhower used to say that there can be no progress until the hearts and minds of people change. Well, that's what's happened in the 60s. They changed with a vengeance. Mediocre government, lazy administration, the negligent and rich have always been with us. The change is we won't stand for what we once accepted as normal. I don't believe this is contrived optimism. I believe it's factual that the sour 60s will in time's fullness be seen to have been an era of rare creativity. Standards were set higher than they've ever been before, and a resolve that those standards be met was born that is much meaner than any resolve we've had before. Frank? Thank you, Howard. That's the way it is, December 31st, 1969. Good night, Walter. Good night, Chet. Good night, David. And Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Era. So to close this off, I would highly suggest that all of you rewatch that portion of my show. And for those of you listening, re-listen to that speech. <laughs> I couldn't have written it better myself. Now, to understand the 60s, and I'm going to tell you something that I think I've mentioned before. I actually mentioned it in the aftermath of January 6th. See, while we were at the Willard, observing and actually assisting those that are fighting for us, which I can count on one hand. But ideally, it, I can mention Mayor, Ray, Mayor Rudy Giuliani and President Donald J. Trump are two of those that required assistance in just gathering information when the defense is necessary. And I'll say this kind of outside the box. I was looking for avenues for us to sue the January 6th committee, Nancy Pelosi and all of them. Our president's attorney himself said that is impossible. Look at all of the usual suspects. They're telling you that they're going to sue them. That's all you need to know for now on that. But going back to the Willard, something unexpected occurred. A common friend of mine had another common friend. And that common friend, while I was busy in a meeting, had scheduled a meeting with my friend, Millie. She is a reporter and she has the equipment. I'm just a voice. She recorded an interview that will shock the world. And I'm going to give you a hint of that interview. That's that. 57 years ago today, America and the world were stunned by the death of our 35th president, John F. Kennedy, the victim of an assassin's rifle. On tonight's backstory, Bob Buckaloo returns us to the day it all happened. Stretch pants again in the faded soldier blue, which I think is such a stunning combination. Okay, it's November 22nd, 1963. Imagine yourself watching a fashion show on a local TV station in Dallas, Channel 8, when suddenly there's some sort of static. That's a bulletin. This is from the United Press from Dallas. President Kennedy and Governor John Colony have been cut down by assassin's bullets in downtown Dallas. 
That's how Dallas, and eventually the world, heard the news. Government sources now confirm that President Kennedy is dead. And here we are, 57 years later, and the story still holds our attention. Even those not yet born have heard about the man with the high-powered rifle, Lee Harvey Oswald, who shot the president and Texas Governor John Connolly from a window in the nearby Texas School Book Depository as Kennedy's motorcade drove by. How Vice President Lyndon Johnson would be sworn in as president aboard Air Force One. How Oswald himself would be assassinated two days later by a man named Jack Ruby as Dallas police were transferring their prisoner to the county jail. How the Warren Commission investigating the case said that Oswald had acted alone and that Ruby shot Oswald because he was upset that President Kennedy had been killed. But almost as soon as the government wrapped up its official investigation, public doubts arose. Was the killing the work of a single man or part of a larger conspiracy? 57 years after the death of JFK, most Americans do not believe the official version. A recent survey found that 61% said that others were involved in the assassination. Add to that all the doubts raised by the books and documentaries. In fact, it's been estimated that over a thousand books have been written about the Kennedy assassination. And here we are in 2020, and there's a new book out that takes a fresh look at what went down in 1963. Authors Katana Zachary and Sarah Peterson, both Texans, wanted to help solve what they called the mystery of the Kennedy assassination. So they located and interviewed people still alive who were connected to the events surrounding the death of President Kennedy. People with vivid memories of that day in November 1963. Many of them believed that Lee Harvey Oswald was not the assassin, that he was what he said he was, a patsy. As uh, the chief of the Dallas police finally admitted after Oswald had been killed, they never had any proof that could put that man up on the sixth floor with a rifle shooting during the time of the assassination. And the Warren Commission really, in their investigation, only took five months to interview witnesses. If they would have opened it up and looked into perhaps more than one assassin, they were probably afraid that we couldn't handle it. Another look at the death of John F. Kennedy from the memories of those who still recall that day in history all those years ago. Bob Buckaloo, KVU News. You mean uh, that's not the official story? Well, the official one should be coming out from what I know soon. And that would make sense because that is how things operate and how they they work right i mean like he said we entered into an era that's meaner it is normal i don't believe this is contrived optimism i believe it's factual that the sour 60s will in time's fullness be seen to have been an era of rare creativity Standards were set higher than they've ever been before, and a resolve that those standards be met was born that is much meaner than any resolve we've had before. Frank? Thank you, Howard. That's the way it is, December 31st, 1969. Good night, Walter. Good night, Chet. Good night, David. And Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you.
When someone is singing the tune of the coffin dance, even the police stand by to allow for that statement to be made in awe that it was made in the wrong square. Something unexpected, like a glitch. So let's circle back to quantum computing now with all that information that was such a fire hose and try to parse together how all of this makes sense. Quantum computers explained in a way that anyone can understand. NTT Research. We need to talk. Tons of companies are now showcasing how they are working on quantum computers and how quantum computers are going to change computing forever, etc., etc. But everything I've seen online, honestly, is so abstract that you end up still wondering what quantum computers are at all, and then also, what are they actually going to do for us? Entity Research, a company at the forefront of quantum computing, actually agrees with me on that. And they asked if I would help them shed some light on this particularly complicated topic. So after asking their actual quantum scientists way too many questions, I think we're probably ready. So in this Decoder episode, my explainer series here on the channel, let's talk about what quantum computing actually is, why it's better than traditional computers, and what it'll actually solve for us in the future. First, we need to talk a little bit about quantum mechanics, but don't worry, I won't get into the weeds on it. And honestly, it's just really fascinating. Firstly, quantum mechanics can be described as the physics of extremely small. In our case, subatomic particles. For example, photons, the nuclei of an atom, or electrons. Now, we're all relatively familiar with the laws of physics and how matter will interact in our daily lives. The interesting thing about quantum mechanics, though, is when things get to that subatomic level, they start to play by different rules. So for example, if you threw a tennis ball against a wall, you'd expect it to bounce back. But if this tennis ball was an electron, well, sometimes it would bounce back, and sometimes it just appears on the other side of the wall. And this phenomenon is called quantum tunneling. And to be clear, it's not a theory. It's an experimentally repeatable and proven thing. Quantum scientists just expect it, even if it is hard for those of us living in a larger world to comprehend. And there's a ton of other phenomenon like that that are equally odd and just as repeatable and valid. And I'm telling you this because there are a few of these properties that are very important to quantum computing. And it's within these weird phenomenon that quantum computing gets a lot of its power from, which we'll talk about more in a sec. For now, though, let's talk about the gist of what a quantum computer is made of. Quantum computers come in a variety of different forms, but essentially they all boil down to the same idea of taking some sort of quantum particle, and in our case we'll use electrons, but it could be ions, the nucleus of an atom, etc., and then containing them in a way that they can be manipulated and measured. In traditional digital computers, information is encoded in the form of bits. A bit is either zero or one, on or off. 
And there are a lot of bits together in your computer, your phone, etc., that can then be used to make calculations by changing those bits. Now, looking at the image of a sample quantum computer, the equivalent of those bits are called qubits or quantum bits. And they're contained in this small part here. The rest of what you see is essentially cooling. The reason for this is that unlike traditional silicon bits, the quantum bits are very easily interfered with, with any level of heat or just other subatomic particles in the environment around the computer. So to mitigate this, the qubits are kept at near zero Kelvin, AKA the temperature at which particles aren't energized have very little to no movement. Taking a closer look at the qubits, we might have an electron suspended using a magnetic field, for example. That electron will spin on its axis, and when it does, a small magnetic field is created, similar to the Earth's magnetic field because of its spin. Now, also like the Earth, this magnetic field ends up coming from one direction or pole and flowing to the other. The electron's own magnetic field, when suspended in another magnetic field, will naturally align its poles with the magnetic field's direction. Think of it like the needle of a compass aligning with the Earth's magnetic field. Since this is the natural state of the electron or qubit requiring the least energy, we can think of this as the equivalent of the zero state in traditional bits, called spin down in this case. In a similar way to manually moving the needle of a compass with your finger to point south instead of north, those electrons can be charged with energy to point in the opposite direction. We'll call this spin up. And you can think of this as the one in terms of traditional bits. So now we have our two states that we're used to in traditional computing, zero and one. But unlike traditional bits, those electrons and qubits are actually spinning in all directions at once in another strange phenomenon specific to quantum mechanics called superposition. Essentially, the qubit is spinning in every direction possible within a sphere, mathematically represented by fractions between zero and one that indicate the probability of it being spin up or spin down, one and zero. It's only once we stop and read its state that it chooses up, one or down, zero. It's this superposition third state that gives quantum computers their unique abilities. Let's say, for example, we have two qubits and two traditional bits. For both of these systems, we have the options of zero, zero, I just wanted to clarify and restate something because it's going to totally click. He said it keeps spinning. It can be any, any, anything. The possibilities are endless until you look at it and it's either spin up or spin down until you look at it and then it's spin up and spin down. Listen to that again. And unlike traditional bits, those electrons and qubits are actually spinning in all directions at once in another strange phenomenon specific to quantum mechanics called superposition. Essentially, the qubit is spinning in every direction possible within a sphere, mathematically represented by fractions between zero and one that indicate the probability of it being spin up or spin down, one and zero. It's only once we stop and read its state that it chooses up, one or down, zero. It's this superposition third state that gives quantum computers their unique abilities. Let's say, for example, we have two qubits and two traditional bits. For both of these systems, we have the options of zero, 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 one, one, zero, and one, one. So four different states of the system itself with two classical bits of information. Which is odd because they're really infinite. They're not at four states. But I'll draw you to this question. And maybe the remainder of this will make sense. Tori. The usual suspects are everyone related to the J6 movie. Question is, who's Kaiser Sanse in the J6 movie or the plot to take down DJT? Very great question. Let's unpack this question quickly and see how this relates to quantum computing. Apply it with simple math. 
usual suspects. We see them, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ones that we don't know. Are they good? Are they bad? They just are all there. The question is, who's Kaiser Sose? And then the question then sits is, was Kaiser Sose the murderer or was he just telling the cop the story that he would believe in his reality constructs? There you go. You obviously know who Kaiser Sose is. And those are the people that are the usual suspects that are telling you either to trust the plan or reporting to you or in some weird shape or form convincing people that they are the way and the only way to truth and satisfaction and to reinstate President Trump in position that are also jumping ship. But let's say, how do you find that answer out? Who is the Kaiser Sose of the Kaiser Sose? Ah, and that's what you need to do. Remove the usual suspects that are mainstream. Remove them all. Now pay attention. Which constants are still standing, unfettered, with consistency, making the same statements they made a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, six, ten, eight, twenty, a hundred. And there, my friends, is how you figure out that there is a quantum system behind the manufactured one. Listen to that again if you didn't catch my drift. But the qubits also have that superposition of each of those bits as well to work with. So you would get the equivalent of four classical bits of information to represent each of the possible states i.e. we would need four numbers to know the state of the system versus the two numbers for the classical one. If we added another bit and qubit to these two systems, we would get three bits of information for the traditional system, but eight for the quantum system. And it's this exponentially more bits of information that continues to the tune of two to the nth power, where n is the number of qubits. So you can see pretty quickly how much more power can be gained from this system exponentially. There's another quantum property that needs to occur for this to hold true, and that's quantum entanglement, which is the phenomenon that two quantum entangled particles, let's use our two electrons as an example, will always display the opposite of the other one instantly, no matter how far apart they are. So, for example, if we have two quantum entangled electrons and we look to see what direction one is spinning, and let's say it's spin up, then the other is automatically going to be spin down, and vice versa. This will be true every single time so long as those two qubits are entangled. Now, Einstein actually called this spooky action at a distance. And just like the other quantum properties we've been talking about, we don't really understand why it happens, but we also don't really need to. We just know that it's proven and that it happens all the time. Early sailors didn't know about the particles in the air that was moving the sails of their ships. They just knew that they could use the wind to move their sailboats. Lastly, for these spooky things, we have the fact that quantum particles' state is changed by the act of observing them. So, that superposition is happening, but as soon as we observe the state of the qubit, it'll either be up or down. We can't observe or measure the superposition state itself. So, while the computer is running, superposition is a state we can use, but as soon as we go to read the results, we only have zeros and ones. Now, obviously, that might seem like a bit of an issue, but thankfully, math doesn't care. Using special quantum algorithms, you can actually use the probability of the superposition to do your calculations, and then when they are done, come up with a usable state that can be read. And it's because of this unique 
requirement and probability factor that quantum computers won't always be faster than traditional computers in some cases. And in some cases, actually, they'll be a lot slower. Instead, they can solve problems with an enormous number of variables way faster than a traditional computer can. In fact, the more potential outcomes and steps a problem has, the more efficient a quantum computer will be over a traditional computer. One popular example is called the traveling salesman problem, originally proposed in 1930, and one of the most intensely studied problems in optimization. The problem states that if you have a list of cities for a salesman to travel, what is the best route to take to hit all of the cities in the most efficient way while starting and ending at the same city? A traditional computer might go through every single route possible until it finds the shortest one that it can. With a few cities, this isn't too bad, but as the number of cities grows, this can bog down even the best supercomputers out there. A type of quantum computer called an Ising machine using a quantum algorithm called the Ising model could solve this in a fraction of the time. Recently, NTT Research's Physics and Informatics Lab has actually partnered with Caltech's Department of Applied Physics and Material Science to take on the goal of building the world's fastest Ising machine. To explain what that is, nature likes to optimize energy naturally. A cool way to demonstrate this is to use metronomes. I'll leave a link to the video that I found below. But basically, if there's a way for energy to easily transfer between the metronomes, they will eventually synchronize to become a more efficient system. This also happens in the cells of your heart beating in rhythm. You see it in schools of fish swimming together, etc. The Ising machine uses a collection of spinning particles and all connected so that they can interact with one another in a similar way to the metronomes. In the case of this problem, each spinning particle will represent one of the potential cities and can be calibrated to represent the distance between the cities. They are all set spinning, and then through the quantum interaction, they will all eventually synchronize to the lowest energy state, showing the solution. In a way, it's like old analog computers back in the day that used cogs and drums with divots to calculate firing trajectory and angle on a Navy ship. I'll leave a link below to a training series of videos for that exact analog computer from the 50s, complete with the 1950s voice. Fire control computers solve fire control problems. That I found while researching for anyone who wants to learn more about that fascinating, often forgotten start to computers that we use today. Now, a traveling salesman might not truly illustrate how important a machine like this is, but imagine anything with a ton of variables and a similar optimization need. Drug discovery is a pretty big one that comes to mind. Modern drug development takes decades because of the sheer number of compounds and proteins that must be tested in infinite combinations. This could save millions of lives by exponentially shortening the time it takes from targeting a disease to developing a treatment from years to seconds, potentially. Machine learning, such as image and speech recognition, could scan exponentially more neural networks at once to deliver results in a fraction of the time, car and air traffic control, the list just goes on and on. And it's these types of problems that quantum computers of various designs will ultimately help us solve a lot faster than traditional digital computers and even supercomputers today can. So, when will all of this happen? Well, Kazuhiro Gomi, the president and CEO of NTT Research, has said that he expects these applications to become a reality in the next 10 years. But there you go. My best attempt at trying to succinctly explain something that is very complicated. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below of this video of Quantum. Don't forget to uh, check out the research that NTT is also doing at the link in the description below. Again, thanks to them for letting me bother the crap out of their scientists and for parting with me to do this video. video. If you like this video, please thumbs up it or share it. Interesting explanation. Very interesting explanation. So before I end today's and tomorrow's segment, 
I would say from that video, you understood that it is when you observe that a position is actually taken, a one or zero, a yes or no, a red or blue, a black or white. So basically what you see is when you are looking at it, right? Like if you're pregnant, you're thinking of pregnancy. So suddenly you see a lot of pregnant people that were there, but you just didn't see them because you weren't observing pregnancy. Make sense? For those women that have been pregnant. Or how about you guys? Uh, you've, you decided today and suggestively that you would like a red truck. Ah, and suddenly everywhere you go as you drive, you will spot one red truck. You'll see it once, dismiss it twice. I'm saying, damn, a lot of people own red trucks. Do, hmm. So basically it's what you focus and observe on. So what if you focused on good? What if you focused on the quantum question itself of what the question of quantum is? This entanglement, this destruction, interference, superpositioning is all telling you it's about where you direct your focus. So if you all directed your focus in one way, right, say good, you would realize the core of the Mandelbrot equation, the car cardiac, the heart, love, compassion, and serving each other is in fact embracing entanglement to isolate the truth because the others are removed by destructive interference, like rotten fruit, as my grandfather said. It'll drop on its own, meaning it will be destroyed by destructive interference. It promotes destruction, therefore it will be isolated by the interference of destruction. Oh, hmm. Because it drops on its own this rotten fruit only because your decisions and your actions from those decisions, based on the decisions you made, you conduct an action. So your decisions based on the product of your actions of those decisions should be focused on the one concept that remains standing, architecture, structure, the structure of the system. When you walk into a house, you don't usually look at the foundation or did they use two by four or steel rods, right? You look at the pretty curtains and the backsplash and, you know, the furniture, the flooring. Was it wood? Was it not? But no one looks at the structure of the system. So I leave you with that. President Trump told you that he will give the government back to the you, to you, the people, right? I'm going to give the government back to you, the people. Hmm. How is that? Was it his to hold in his hands to give it back to us? Is it not ours? I thought we were the government. Well, before I give you the actual answer, why is this percolating? Let's, let's take a question and I will tell you what will happen. Whatever you think of Amazon, pretty cool, cool that they did. Terminal List is based, of course, on a best-selling book by Jack Carr. He's one of the executive producers. He's a former Navy SEAL, one of the best-selling novelists in America. One of the good guys. Jack Carr, thanks so much for coming on. So it must, pl it must please, first of all, congratulations on the book, the many books, this um, show. But it must please you in a way, not all viewers hate it, or not all critics hate it, but viewers like it much more than critics. How do you feel about that? Oh, it, it uh, falls right in line with everything uh, that I understand about the current culture and climate in America right now. And it seems to have triggered quite a few of these critics. And I have a couple examples here. Daily Beast titled their review, 
The terminal list is an unhinged right-wing revenge fantasy, which is odd <laughs> because right, left, conservative, liberal are not even mentioned in the show. But uh, I think it may be because the protagonist is competent with uh, weapons and tactics. He's strong. He holds those in power accountable. Uh, and that can be unsettling for some, particularly some maybe senior members of the military who have failed upwards over the last 20 years. Uh, they go on to write, there is some serious danger to the terminalist pandering to red state viewers with routine references to beer, guns, country music, and hunting. Uh, the Daily Beast does not like those things. It does not sound like it is much fun over there, but the 95% uh, the uh, viewer rating, audience rating makes it all worth it. We didn't make it for the critics. Uh, we made it for those in the arena. We made it for the soldier, sailor, airman, and marine that went downrange to Iraq and Afghanistan so they could sit on the couch and say, hey, these guys put in the work. They put in the effort to make something special and make a show that speaks, uh, speaks to them. And that 95% rating lets me know that we at least got close. And then uh, one more line here. It's from TV line. It says the fugitive meets SEAL team meets a don't tread on me truck decal. We're served up huge helpings of red meat masculinity and lots and lots of American flags. They don't like American flags over there. Game ra uh, rant even cites revolutionary war era. Don't tread on me flags as a negative. So it's odd that both Game Rants and TV Line had to go back to the 1700s to take the side of the British in their reviews. I found that uh, quite telling. <laughs> but uh, someone wrote a, a horrible review of one of my latest novel, In the Blood, and they said uh, something along the lines of, what, what do you even call a book like this? And uh, you call it a, a number one New York Times bestselling novel. And someone wrote the same thing about this show. And uh, you call that the number one series on Prime Video. And I do want to thank Amazon because they took a lot of risks with this show. And they took those risks yeah. with us. And uh, so my hat is, uh, is off to them. And I'm sincerely humbled and, and grateful. Jack Carr, who not that long ago was wearing government-issued clothing, carrying a rifle in weird countries. It is just amazing how successful you have been and, and wonderful, wonderful to watch. So let's get into the gist of it. Kaiser Sose. He's a criminal, or maybe he just conned them, or maybe he just inserted himself, right? And told them the story that they would believe. Does that make him bad? Because there's a lot of people out there that many of you support that are telling you a story, that are telling you how to fight things, that are telling you they're on their side in the reality construct. And some of them may have knowledge that you're just in that detective's room and your whole life is that room, those four walls, those chains, that steel holding you down. Does that necessarily make them bad? No, it makes them dishonest. And so the question circles back to, do you believe the truth? And it's like, it doesn't matter if you believe it, it simply is. So here's how I'm going to break down to you with a bit of remedial quantum math. If you input all the variables today, here is how it pans out. Because I did tell you how they will indict President Trump. I told you who are the key factors in that algorithm. I did. Oh, but I had also told you that they had groomed me from a very young age. See, when you try to take something that is not yours and mold it into something to be yours, it is always a boomerang. So I circle back to the statement. I told you that <laughs> Ali Akbar, Alex Jones, Roger Stone and co. will be why President Trump is indicted. I told you before the elections that Ali Akbar will be the downfall to President Trump. 
President Trump got rid of Stone very early because something that he did in 2016 called Stop the Steal, yes, in 2016, went to court, will be thrown back in there. And I told you guys that because that is truth. I don't care if you believe it. It's facts. And as you can see, before it even happened, I told you who the players are. In fact, I told you which superposition you need to focus on to see the answer if you observe that situation correctly. It's almost as if I gave you part of my private key, at least close enough so that you can use, you know, certain algorithms and to find it yourself. So here's how it goes. I already told you that Joe Biden's on the way out. There's no way a sitting president's son will be indicted, but there is that possibility. Therefore, uh, finding the connection between Joe Biden, he gets impeached, Kamala comes on, and that takes on, you know, up until 2023. That's not the option we want. And it's very small. And that's because you guys are not going to focus on that option, unlike what the right wing media wants you to focus on. Now, if I was the architect of this plan, I would say, here are the most probable options that are going to happen. The indictment is already written. When do we pop it open? Well, I guess we'll do it at the time that Joe Biden leaves office before we actually indict his son, or maybe when he was indicted with some small whatever, but it doesn't affect Joe Biden, of course. So Joe Biden will be removed concurrently with the indictment of President Trump. Everyone will be focusing on the indictment of President Trump And Joe Biden will be sick and they're mourning and you can't attack them when they're mourning. Therefore, Kamala Harris will step in, but it's so close to the elections. Speaker of the House, all this stuff. We've got to have special elections. We can't have it now. See, that was a perfect plan. Very perfect. But one person, along with their friends, Two people along with their friends, another one person along with their friends, came together and started building the defense before anyone even knew that there was an indictment. See, when you want them to have a train wreck that they've planned, You give them the popcorn, you get them the best fucking seat. You take in one of their own and you let them watch you do your magic. And as they watch you, they realize, okay, that target is off limits. We're going to go for this target and this one because they're a little bit different. And temporarily, they can pull apart this four position, four position equation to make it wonky. But if you noticed all this time talking about quantum computing, there's something called destructive interference. Destructive interference, kind of like if you're singing the coffin dance, even law enforcement will sit back and wait until you finish your song. Remember that phrase. So one, Joe Biden leaves really quickly in August. Therefore, President Trump will be indicted 
He can't be indicted. Oh, yeah, he fucking is. Anyone telling you different doesn't know what they're talking about. An indictment can come doesn't mean that he's going to jail, but they will make it a spectacular event so that everyone can seethe and laugh and smile. Because, you know, Joe Biden's sick. He's old. Maybe we shouldn't have bet bet on him, but he was way better than Trump. Now we have Kamala, right? Kamala, the George Soros told you years ago, was going to be president. So when the indictment comes, they'll start making plans and they'll start doing ah, destructive interference. What remains standing and consistent throughout time? Almost like there were clues all along. And then again, there's going to be special elections for a whole other reason. Then we have the other version that it has to be closer to October and we can delay this no matter how much accelerant this person, that person. What we will do is we'll stymie this, stymie that, cause this, cause that, just to break up that group of thought. And here's the thing. Remember, it's about observation. Ask yourself. Many times I've said this where I've played the song. What's that song? Hold on. Let me play it. So say my name. And I'm not just saying mine. What did they say? How does something come out? When you focus, focus on something. When you observe something, it takes a position either up or down, right? So what if everybody focused on God? But not, you know, whatever Bible version you abide to or Quran or Torah, but actually focused on God and actually said the name. Praise your God. What if everybody did that? Then suddenly there would be a superposition chose up or down. For example, I was texted yesterday by someone that you guys may consider important and said, Tori, We have a problem. It's like we want to put this out, but mentioning you, clearly you or Gavin or Millie, is a problem. Because when someone mentions your name or their name or anything you guys have done, it will either destroy them or amplify them and elevate them. It's like you're nuclear. And my response was, well, you know, the minute you observe, you got to pick a spin. You either go up or down. There's no other choice. And see, this is why they choose not to focus on what you need to be focusing on. They have you running down rabbit holes. They have you running around in circles. And while many of you will be like, well, then that means we won. Yes, we did. But you're still in the room. And the only way to get out of the room is to get as many people at the same time to observe the same thing. So at that point, we get the superposition and it either goes up or down. And so all attempts from songs you see, from filings, from news articles. They're all intent to draw your attention somewhere. So someone may say, Hunter Biden's phone is now mainstream from 4chan 
In fact, Garrett had it. I had it. Everybody did. A lot of people are lying about more uh, things being wherever. But I want you, don't listen to that. I want you to pay attention. Garrett has it. I have it. And anybody else who knew a bit in regards to looking at things has it. And Maxie made a very a good argument, and rightfully so, because that kind of gave a few RSA 2048 action items for the DOD quite open-handedly to people that do have access to quantum computing. Therefore, he's very angry. But having said that, why is it now that it is important at 4chan? Think about it. There's two options. Again, one or zero. One is someone wanted to get it out into the open, but instead of giving it to them, they gave them all the tools, including the password, (laughs) in a filing and said, have at it. Here's a puzzle. Why don't you learn as you go? Why don't you attempt this and get a treasure trove? Oh my gosh, competition. We humans love competition, right? So there you are. There's a battle, and it was the people's win of 4chan. And this is how they got all of that out, because the people around the world that were on 4chan did it. Bollocks. But that was great. Do you see how empowered people love to spread the truth? Do you see how people that are focused on not who's around them or who's going to get there first, but focused on the actual task, kind of like, you know, oh, we're being infiltrated in our groups. Just consider every single person an infiltrator. You focus on doing the right thing. And even if they come in and they throw a little foot in the way where you trip over and fall, if it's meant to be, you will stand back up because that means your intent or when you observed the data And when you observe that point, it either spun up or down. It's it's pretty simple. It's your observation and time that are the secret sauce to this. So, again, focus only what is important. Focus only on what you are observing at the moment. If you are observing my voice, focus on just the voice. If you are observing your food, take that time, shut that shit off and enjoy your food. If you are enjoying the moment of a workout, take off your headphones. Don't listen to that music. Listen to your heart pump, your sweat drip, the breath that's coming out. Be in that moment and observe it in its entirety and suddenly everything else falls apart and destructive interference comes in. And that was what was meant to be destroyed will be destroyed. I mean, that is the covenant of mathematics and quantum computing. And again, I say this with as much love and affection as I can, uh, only because in my construct, in my in office where Kaiser Sose is there, that tries to make explanations make sense to me in regards to the issue at hand. I say this with as much love as I can. If people actually took the 40,000 foot view and saw that from day one of President Trump coming in, his objective was always to give you the tools and see it yourself. Everything that has happened to this man, both good and bad, that failed or had efficacy, those that taunted him, those that applauded him, those that plotted against him, those that plotted with him, happened for your ability to see. You are the government, right? 
So how are you the government when you own and control no part of the infrastructure? You own a house, right? But what if the foundations, the roof, the two-by-fours, the poured concrete to stabilize your floor were not yours? Do you own that house? Did you elect these people that actually have control of your infrastructure? No. They were selected by those you thought you elected because you used the space they govern you in. The space they govern is the space that you are in and this is how they govern. So how do you fix things? You optimize it naturally. You synchronize and you observe the same thing at once. And suddenly, it manifests. It's quite interesting that I introduced you to a very specific drug that is now making rounds on the news. I did the timing of talking about that that I wanted to talk about a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, because it's not something new. I wanted to show it to you because timing is everything. Could it be that I introduced it to you because I knew that there were going to be victims across the nation touching a dollar bill and then giving people all their riches? Possibly, far-fetched. Or could it be that I had over 520,000 people yesterday listen to my show and they all focused on the drug and therefore now they're seeing the news related to that drug? Almost like if you're pregnant, you see pregnant people. If you're not pregnant, you might see pregnant people, but not as often as when you're pregnant. Think about that for a second, because it's about to get really, really wild. And for those out there seeing struggles and attempts, it's important to understand that maybe those struggles, attempts, filings, Maneuvers, statements are not to, to attract you to it, but to maybe be the right brew of coffee to wake up those that cannot otherwise wake up. I think that is um, the way we get to the truth by focusing on only truth, not by calling someone out. And, you know, I call people out, but it's not directed to those that don't need that. It's directed to those that still need that construct, that still need that Kaiser Sose story told to them because they can't think outside of the usual suspects. And President Trump has done just that. He's been doing that. So, the, you know, it's, it's going to manifest an end always has a start. God bless. I'll see you live on Friday.